Good evening again, everyone, and welcome to our, uh, I guess, this, yes, this is week three of our series, Trustworthy. Um, and um, again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms watching. Um, I've entitled the sermon this afternoon uh, this, that's when the idols we trust meet our trustworthy God. Um, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6 to 20. Um, and I'd um, like for you to prepare the scriptures so you, you could read along with us. All right. But we're going to start by reading verse 8 just to set the tone and the direction for this afternoon's preaching. Right. Um, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 8 says this. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Let's pray, God, clearly, whatever we've seen in the scripture does not please you. And Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our minds, to open our hearts, to lead us, Lord God, to lead us back to trusting you more and more. We ask you to anoint the preaching of the word. We ask you to anoint our ears as well. Give us ears to hear this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good afternoon once more. Well, it's Mother's Day today, and I just want to tell you a quick story about my, you know, me and my wife. Um, you, know, um, you know, she's, you know, like any mom, she's always concerned about the home, you know, and the, the needs of the house. She's, it's always top of mind. Of course, I have my own set of chores here and certain things I think of, but as a mom, she's, you know, she could multitask and she has all these things top of mind. And so there was a time when she asked me to, um, she asked me a favor. I was at uh, our office at Robinson's Galleria and she asked me a favor to, to buy a certain thing, right? And, and to go to National Books or buy a certain thing that, that we needed. And, you know, I was like, okay, could you text me so I don't forget? Um, text me at this time, text me at this time so that, you know, it's about the time that I'm about to go home and so I can pick it up before I get home, right? Um, so, yeah, I asked her to do that and I also um, put it in my, uh, no, no, in my uh, reminders on my phone. So I did everything I could, all right, to get the job done, to, uh, to not let her down, all right? And she trusted me, okay? But lo and behold, after all that, I still got home empty-handed, all right? And I'm like, I was amazed at myself as how I did everything I could to be reminded of this, and yet I still forgot. I don't know if it's the age, or <laughs> I don't know if it's all the other things I'm thinking of. Well, I could come up with all kinds of excuses, but the point is, I'm just not perfect. I make mistakes. You know, I, I fail. And no matter how hard I try, I will fail. Well, I had my chance to redeem myself. Got the stuff, got the thing she needed at some in the other at the you know some other day, but still, you know, the thought of me making a mistake is a reality that this that we as human beings we all will fail one another. And yet, the funny thing about us humans is though we already are acquainted to that truth, to that fact that you know we will make mistakes, we're not perfect. The funny part is we put so much more trust at times in ourselves or to others more than God. Now, if you read the entire 
the, the scriptures I mentioned, um, chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 6 of 21, if you breeze through it, you see that that's kind of like the issue going on here. And interestingly, that idolatry was causing, all right, you know, these people, the Israelites, not to trust God and to trust on other things, created things, and not more than trusting God, right? <laughs> so, you know, as you look at verse 8, you know, they talk about idols, bowing down to these certain idols. You've probably been a Christian for a long time, and you couldn't relate much to this. But, you know, there are modern forms of the same thing. You know, idolatry just has, appears not just in, in, in idols and statues, but there are modern forms of it, some of which are the following, like let's say materialism. That could be an idol. You know, more stuff builds our ego, right? Also, it gets us distracted, keeps, us, keeps our focus more on our wants, not on what God wants, or not more on our needs and not on the needs of others. Materialism, right? Um, and there's so much temptation to just shop all you want especially when it's 5-5, five, five, right? <laughs> and all these, you know, well, again, it's not bad. Not nothing wrong about that. It becomes sin. It becomes really wrong when that becomes your idol. So, Pastor, how do I know when materialism becomes an idol? It's this. When you go to materialism to forget about your misery, to, to just have a sense of joy and fun, you, you find your... your your joy more on stuff than on God. That's when it becomes idolatry and utterly wrong. Another is pride and ego. So we see this in our obsession with our careers, our jobs, or even the causes that we're a part of. Um, even the good things, you know, jobs are good. Um, thinking about your career is a good thing, actually. It's a responsible thing to build your career. Sure, do that. But when you kind of like, find your identity in what you do, that's when it becomes an idol. When you find your identity on your job role, your job title, and even your, um, your avocation or, or the, the nonprofit organization that you're a part of or the causes that you do. When you find your, your identity there, oh, I'm doing this cause, it's for, it's for a good thing, but you, know, you, you have to have your name tied up to it or... You get what I'm saying? When it becomes, when it, it, it builds up pride, instead of it being a way to bless others, it builds up pride as well. So that's when you know that um, your job and even the ministry that you're a part of or the causes that you're a part of has become an idol. Another is naturalism and the power of science, all right? It's something that we can idolize when we put our hope more on the vaccine to be the savior of, of you know, the pandemic or our predicament right now. Our hope is in the vaccine. When the vaccine comes, things are going to get better. Uh, you know, life would be restored. Life as we knew it before would be restored. You know, so we we'll just wait for the vaccine and all that. So vaccine, since when the vaccines are not here yet, then you're, you're anxious, you're afraid, or you're hopeless, or you're angry, right? 
Why? Because you put all your hope in the vaccine. The vaccine is just one of the examples of, of us putting our, our, our making science a, an idol. There are many other ways and forms, even naturalism, when we, you know, there are people who love the environment and that's great. Environmentalists are, you know, I get you, I, 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 I subscribe to you know, saving the environment and all, but when that cause becomes greater than the cause of the kingdom of God, then you know what's going on. You know that idolatry is, is coming in. Also self-aggrandizement, and this would be the worst form when we ourselves, our wants and our desires become the gods, become the small g gods in our lives, right? Uh, so, you know, I want to have fun or I want to forget about, I want to escape. So substance abuse, probably alcohol would be another, um, you know, alcoholism would be another um, form of that. Um, gluttony, okay, let's just eat all our miseries away. Let's drink all our miseries away. Let's, you know, let's do all these just to escape, you know, our despair. So what's happening here? Why it's idolatry is this. It's because you're putting your trust in those things more than God, right? Your hope and your trust to save you from your, from your insecurity or your, um, your, your um, depression or your anxiety, okay, is your, your hope for saving in those areas is on those things rather than on God. So that's, these are modern forms of idolatry. I probably missed some others, um, but these were some of the things that I just thought about as I've observed, you know, in my observation. Now, verse six, look at this. See how God responds to these forms or forms of idolatry. Verse six, you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses. There's no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. As you can see, the idolatry issue here in, for ancient Israel wasn't just the fact that they're bowing down to idols, but that you know, they put their trust, uh, more, their idols were money, power, um, military strength, right? And so, therefore, um, really, they were exchanging their trust um, from God and then they're trusting these things instead. So, what's funny here was last week we talked about, you know, the nations coming to the mount, okay, the mountain of the Lord, which is located in Jerusalem and which is Zion, that's the mountain of the Lord, the nations coming there to worship the God of Israel, which is the one true God. But the, you know, what's happening here, what we see here is the opposite. That, that, that Israel is going to the other nations, worshiping not just their gods, but worshiping the power of those nations, you know, the, and, and all that. The silver and gold of those nations, the riches of those nations, you know, striking hands with the children of foreigners when God told them to be set apart. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's actually the opposite of what was of the vision, the, the, the future vision of, of, of the nations coming to Israel. So what's going on here is Isaiah is actually talking about a present state 
And last week, we talked about a future glory, which we're seeing now in our time progressively happen. But what's happening in our time as well is that we're not devoid of this issue of idolatry as well, where, where we are putting our trust for satisfaction, sustenance, and salvation in other things other than God. See, the core of idolatry is this. It's man trusting in himself to satisfy, sustain, and save himself for the glory of himself. That's the core issue of idolatry. It's trusting himself to satisfy, sustain, and save himself for the glory of himself. Now, turns out that idolatry is not just an issue of wrong devotion, but rather a lack or an absence of trust in the Lord. It's not just about desiring other things more than God. But it's not just an issue of desire, but in really at the core of it, it's an issue of trust. Let's read verse 9. How, how does God respond now? Now that it is, you know, it's established there that it's abhorrable to God. Now, what does God do? What does God do to the idols? Verse 9. So man is humbled and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Could it be that God allows us sometimes to fail, hurt, and not find any solution out of our predicament to learn to trust in him alone? Could it be? Does God humble us so that we could learn to trust in him? Not in ourselves, nor on other people and other created beings or things. You see, what's, what's sad sometimes, you know, in, in desperate situations, when we're, when we're pushed to a corner and where there's nothing else we can do out of our problems. I don't know if you've said this or thought about this before or heard it from someone else. Saying, wala na ako magawa, kundi mag-pray. For those foreigners watching, there's nothing else I can do but pray. Now the thing about it is, why is God the last resort? You know why? Why he becomes the last resort? Because you and everyone else and everything else in your mind was more trustworthy than God. Today, my prayer is that God's trust, we would be fully convinced that God is trustworthy, the most trustworthy. He should not be the, the last resort. He should be the first one we run to in our time of, in our, when we need saving, when we need sustaining. We need to run to God first. We need to learn to trust in him in a greater way. Otherwise, here's the thing. It's not that we're not going to trust on, on nothing. We're going to start trusting on something else or someone else. And we become more dependent on people. 
more dependent on substances, more dependent on distractions, materialism, on ourselves. See, we need to learn to be more dependent on God. That's the manifestation of us being fully convinced that God is truly trustworthy. It doesn't end there. God has more to say about, you know, this idea of being humble, this idea of, of, of idolatry. In verse 12 to 18, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all this, let me just stop there for a minute. I just had a thought coming in right now as I was reading that. See, the, the issue here really, when we, let's say, we trust in our money more than God. We trust in our careers more than God, our business more than God. See, all of those things, your career, your money, your identity, your image, you know, your relationships. What's the common thing there? It's the word your, right? So ultimately, idolatry is really trusting on you. Really, it's an issue of, you know, the small g God really is you. You know, in the ancient times, to create an idol, all right, let's say, let's, let's go to the, the story of Moses right there. When, when, when he went up and he met God, he received the Ten Commandments and the people, Israel, built a golden calf. What was the golden calf made of? They were in the desert. Where would they get gold, right? You know what they were made of? They were made of gold items that they plundered from Egypt. Because remember, when they left Egypt, um, you know, Moses asked for a plunder. So they brought along with them gold articles. And so those gold articles, they melted and they carved out into this golden calf. So, and they started worshiping that golden calf. But really, if you think about it, who are they really worshiping? The gold came from them. See, here's the thing. Ultimately, when we have those idols, really what we're worshiping is ourselves. Yeah, that's the biggest idol, really. And that's why here in verse 12, God says that he has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. Proud and lofty people who put their trust in their own selves and their own creations. See, there's a pride right there saying that, God, I'm better than you. I'm more trustworthy than you. And so God is saying here in verse 12, for the, through the prophet Isaiah, that the, that the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, wow, that's scary when he starts saying that, <laughs> has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. And look at this, it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty, lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against... All the uplifted hills, all right, mountains and hills, they said in their time had, was, was the place where they worshipped their gods. And God will, 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 will be say, saying that they're, they're going to be brought low. Against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, all the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. There you go again. The lofty pride of men is mentioned once more. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away. See, the thing about it is there, there will be moments in our lives where God will 
proved to be God, not just by bringing in the miracles and the favor. You know, there will be times in our lives when God will prove to be God by breaking our idols. And those moments could be one of the most painful events in our lives. But though painful, very helpful, much needed. Because sometimes when we can't find it in ourselves to trust God, He will make a way by crushing the idols in our lives. Now, despite all of that, despite you see here, really, in everything we've read so far, you see how God hates idolatry. Why? Because God's purpose is for his glory to be made renowned, to be made known, as we discussed last week, right? He hates it because it, it goes against his plan of his kingdom advancing, his glory being known through the nations. And guess what? Through us. But what's happening is that we are glorifying ourselves, and it's, that's just so wrong. That's twisted. Right? Well, now, despite God hating that, God, because God is a covenant-keeping God, he cannot just say, well, forget it, Israel, goodbye, or forget it, mankind, you guys have failed me big time. Remember the first commandment, there will be no other gods, the best, so, you know, the first mention means that it's the most important. So, though, though Israel has created, uh, has, has done this, and frank, quite frankly, we have we have violated this at certain, in certain times and certain seasons in our lives, probably even now, because God is a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't just cancel us. He didn't cancel Israel. He, didn't can he doesn't cancel us. All right? He doesn't give up on us. But he gives a promise. And that promise is only based on the covenant he has. It's only because... He is trustworthy to fulfill his covenant to his people. It's not because of anything else. He could choose another, another group of people, but no. He still gives a promise for us, even if we fail. Two promises that I see here in the scripture. It's found, the first is found here. But let me just say the first promise, okay? It's this. The, it's that the fear of God shall be established once more. Right? The fear of God shall be established once more. Let's look at verse 10. Let's go back a bit. And then I'd, I'd like to show you some repeated phrases right here in, in that entire pericope, right? Verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. Now let's go to verse 19. The people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. See that? You see the repetition? Now look at verse 21, another one, right? To enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Another repeated phrase. Now, what is he getting at here? The promise is this, that the fear of God shall be restored, shall be established once more in this once idolatrous nation, this once idolatrous people. 
Now, what is the fear of God? Um, I guess Isaiah um, makes a very good description right there. It's two things. It's the terror of the Lord. It's literal fear. Okay? But also, splendor, having splendor in His majesty. In other words, being awestruck of this God. Now, that describes the fear of God. Now, when we are trusting in our wealth, in our careers, in other people more than God, guess where the, the awestruckness and the fear is? It's there. Like, let's say money. All right? You're, yes, you're, you're enjoying the fact that you've got your money there, but you're also afraid that it can be gone. Right? Like, for example, if you're trading stocks, every day there's an anxiety probably there of the stocks going low, the market crashing, and, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, incurring losses, actually. Right? Paper loss lang yan. Loss pa rin, di ba? So, there's fear. Right? And, and think about it. Of course, that fear will never be gone, even if you fear the Lord. But think about it. If, you, you, you're, if it's an idol, then think about the level of fear and anxiety that you have, right? See, here's the promise of God just because He is trustworthy, just because He is faithful to His promise to Abraham, all right? To His promises, to what He's done through, in the new covenant through Christ, just because, all right? Not because of our good works, it's this, it's that he will establish the fear of God once more in your life. That happens through the, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You see, the Holy Spirit allows us, one of his, um, one of his ministries or what he does in the, in the believer's life is to illuminate. And so we ask Holy Spirit, if we're at the time when we're, you know, we have made other things, you know, um, if other things have been more glorious to us, our, ourselves, our careers, our money, and all that has been more important, glorious, and, you know, we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you show me, would you take me back to the fear of God? Now, the promise is this. If you do that, if you abide, if you repent, all right, if you repent, the fear of God shall be established once more, all right? And that's just a promise right there. Here's a second promise, right? Despite us failing God in our idolatry, here's a second. Man will have the divine capacity to destroy their idols. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not a power that comes from the flesh, but rather it's a power that comes from God. Verse 20 says, In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats. Look at that. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver. Look at that. So what's interesting about, you know, promise number one, promise to this promise number two, is that in promise number one, you're, you're given a promise that God will act. God will illuminate, right? Will allow you to see, right? You'll be able to see things. But the promise here in promise number two tells us that we have a personal responsibility here, that we have participation here. 
Okay, we can't just be okay, God. I'll I'll repent when you when your Holy Spirit just allows me to do it. You know, automatically. You know, I'll just continue on my sin, my adultery here, and you know, no, no. The thing about it, we need to understand, is that there is personal responsibility that is that is that is required of us believers that we are to move in faith in the power of God, right? That that the, the promise number one tells us that we are able to see. And we're able to have this internal realization that, wow, wait, I've been, you know, I've been worshiping, you know, created things and other things other than God. I put more faith and hope, and I actually fear the loss of those other things more than my relationship with God. But here, the second promise tells us that we're going to have that capacity that is divine, that is not of the flesh, to actually destroy those idols to actually act on our um, act on our belief on what we what has been revealed to us that is true repentance friends when there is really uh, when there's a change of mind that leads to a change of lifestyle we can't just say that oh i've learned something new today and you know a lot of times that can happen i've learned something new today that was a good ceremony that was a good book that was a good time of reading the Bible, but there's no changed life. See, again, true repentance is this. It's having a change of mind that leads to a change of lifestyle. And so, but, and, and the, the promise is this, that we will have that ability. We will have that ability. We will have that ability. Now, when we learn to trust in God more than the things of this world in ourselves, in our relationships and people, our good, faithful God says, he will give us that ability to crush the idols in our lives, to do something about it, to act on what, we, what was revealed to us. What an amazing God. So as I end this message, this preaching, I'd like to turn, I can't help but remember the scripture last week because you know last week's scripture came from the same chapter anyway so it's kind of like the same thought happening there so I'm, i'd like to turn to verse three of chapter two right so if you have your bibles you could just look a little bit um, go back a little bit to verse three and what what, is, what does it say there in verse three it says this come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. See, here's what happens. When we learn to trust God once more, we will really move in lordship. Lordship is this. It's really understanding that Jesus is the master of our lives. And if he's the master, we're going to just trust him even more. We're going to pledge our allegiance to him, not to ourselves, our desires, and to other people and the systems of this world. No, we're going, to, we're going to say, God, I trust you. You are my master. Take the wheel of my life, and I just want to follow your lead. And look at this, to the house of the God of Jacob, right? That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Here's what happens when the fear of God is established once more and when we... When we when, when we destroy and crush the idols in our lives, is that it, that happens when we learn his ways. 
That's what happens in the presence of God. See, again, the mountain of the Lord represents Zion. And what's in Zion? What's in Zion is the temple, right? And what does the temple represent? The temple represents the presence of God, God himself. And so when we are in the presence of God and we worship him, because that's what's going on in the temple. There's the worship. Because of the presence of God, there's worship going on. When we worship God, not ourselves, not stuff, not any created thing. Listen, we're going to learn. We're going to learn from his ways. That's what happens. And eventually that would lead us to not just learn new things, but to walk in his paths. And what's amazing about this verse is the invitation. Though Israel has, you know, uh, Judah in particular, Jerusalem, J Judah, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, they have really failed God big time in a big way. There's still that invitation. Come, let us. So let me leave you with this. Come, let us trust in God alone to satisfy, sustain, and to save us. That God alone may be glorified through us. The same invitation is extended to us today. In all these modern forms of idolatry that, are, that we are facing, may we run away from that, turn our backs away from that, and come into the presence of God. Because in Him alone will we find satisfaction, sustenance, and salvation. And in doing so, God alone will be glorified through us not to our glory not so we let's stop you know let's let's stop this whole glorification of the self really but let's glorify god in our jobs in the way we live our lives as we become a a good husband a good wife you know as, as we as we become good fathers and mothers as we help the community, as we do good works. Um, let's do all that not to glorify ourselves, but let's do that. Let's do all that as a response to God's glory, that He may be glorified through us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts today. God, we're grateful, Lord God, that you know, in times when we're, we could be led astray by it. Because the system of this world is this. It's the world system is this. It's just wanting us to glorify and to, and to feed the self and to, 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 to just consume many things for the sake of the self. That's what the world wants to teach us. That's where the world system is kind of like leading us. But God, your word tells us otherwise. Your word says that we are to live for you, to glorify you, to die to the self even, and to serve others. So that, that even in our serving others, you will be glorified. God, if there's any form of idolatry there, any form of pride, Lord God, where we have trusted ourselves, where we have trusted others, where we have trusted, you know, material things and our and money more than you, God, today we, we say we repent of that. Lord, we're declaring that 
we trust in you. You are the Lord of our lives. Be the Lord of our lives. God, thank you that you are true to your promise, that you will allow us to see, remove the scales of our eyes. You will change our desires, our tastes, buds, to desire things and to crave things that only that show your glory and bring your and, and, and give you glory. God, thank you that the, your fear, the fear of God, shall once more be established in our lives, that we will be awestruck in you and in you alone once more. And God, thank you, Lord, that you will, right now, you'll give us, you know, practical things, Lord God, to crush the idols in our lives. You're not just creating in us, you're not just showing us what we ought to do, but you will give us the grace, oh God, to worship you and to worship you alone. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you that truly you are the only one that can satisfy. You are the only one that can sustain. And you're the only one that can save us. Oh, God, save us from our predicament, not just from, from sin. Um, you've done that in the cross, and many of us have believed that already. We are believers, but you could save us, Lord God, from the power of sin in our lives. Thank you, Lord God. You will renew us once more that we may worship you. We worship you alone, the one true God. We love you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.